Hey everybody, welcome to a new series of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you're new to the podcast, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, get it automatically. It would be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you leave reviews on podcasts. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. And you can head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about on today's episode. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion, you know, if you're a real person. Because there's a, a dude trying to sell me drones in bulk. And I have no clue what that sales strategy is about. So it's been a weird year and a half or so, you know. Um, the last time I saw live sketch comedy was in March of 2020 in Toronto, during Toronto Sketch Fest. The day after I flew back home to Philadelphia was the day the world shut down. Philly Sketch Fest, already in the midst of planning 2020's festival in June, and basically every other sketch festival had to be canceled, or some of them went virtual. And we tried to adapt here in Philly, like so many other comedians do, and we started hosting Sketchubator, which is basically our version of a sketch comedy open mic on Zoom. The next one is this Friday, July 9th, by the way. It's been a lot of fun, but it's just not the same as being in a theater performing or watching live performance. It's so cool to know that sketch comedy is coming back to Philadelphia with Sketch Buffet, presented by Crossroads Comedy at Theater Exile on July 16th. It's basically going to be a celebration of Philly sketch comedy with some of the favorites of the Philly comedy scene over the last five, ten years or so. For more information on that show, which you should totally go to, head to xroadscomedy.com. And live comedy is starting to happen all over the place like in Greensboro, North Carolina, for example. And that brings me to today's guest, Bob Bashir. Currently a member of Trouble with Shapes, based in Greensboro. Trouble with Shapes is kind of a rebrand of an older group, Mon Frere, and they have a live show at the Idiot Box on July 17th. They've also been hosting a ton of new solo character videos on their YouTube page. They did a house show that's up there now. Bob's sketch is called Hey You. I read the roles of Mark and Tim at the end. Bob reads the role of Jamie, and then we'll give you whatever visual information you need to know. So, let's do it. Let's go to the sketch. Scene opens on a dude. Mark, standing like a dude in whatever space. None of that matters. This is a word sketch. Another dude, James, enters. He speaks first, recognizing Mark. There's increasing intensity throughout. Mark? James? Mark! James! Mark! James! <laughs> Mark Markerson! James Jameson! Marky Markerson! Jamie Jamerson! Oh, Marky Marmar! Jimmy JJ. Count Marker Von McMarkey. Baron Jamer Delgado Del Jamie. They both bow, making reverent noises. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. They bow after each of the following. Okay, maybe it is more than a word sketch. 
the right honorable judge marker clarence markerson the third presiding the pious and right blessed reverend james ray jamerson the fourth praise him praise be mark praise be james the good dr mark of mark over county the good dr james of james over county doctor 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 all hail his grace mark of houses baratheon and lannister first of his name king of the andals and the first men lord of the seven kingdoms and protector of the realm all hail james the first by the grace of god of the united kingdom of great britain and northern ireland and of his other realms and territories king head of the commonwealth defender of the faith are you ready, Mark? Born ready, James. Here we go. Three, two, fun! fun. Oh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Hmm, I'm Rick James, bitch. <laughs> Mark Twain. Oh, <laughs> James Taylor. Marks and Spencer. Bartles and James. Ladies and gentlemen, fresh off their duck soup tour, the Marks Brothers. Ladies and gentlemen, once again. Uh, Marco. James O. Marco, Jameso, Marco, Jameso, <gasps> fish, fish out of water. water. X marks the spot. Rowing down the James River, receiving high marks. Oh shit! Turn up those James. The mark of the covenant. Stop playing those foolish James. Mark the herald angel sing. James. I'm gonna live forever. Mark, 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 Ryan. James, 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 Ryan. Mark, Ryan. You got to be Mark, Ryan. You got to be rocking, rocking and, and rolling and rocking and, and rolling. James, Mark, Ryan. Mark, 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 Ryan. Mark Ruffalo. James Rowland. Uh, Mark Hamill. James Kahn. Mark Zuckerberg. James Cameron. Mark Wahlberg. James Cromwell. Mark Goodson. James Corden. Is Marquis. Jamie Foxx. Wait. Wait. Jamie Foxx, the actor from Ray and In Living Color, or Jamie Foxx, the actress who played Judy on blockbuster sitcom Family Matters? Uh... Oh, it's too late! Too late! James takes out a butterfly knife, flips it around a bunch of times like a cool greaser gang member, and stabs Mark in the heart. Shh, shh, go with God. You did well. Mark expires. The phone in his pocket rings. James picks it up. Hello? Yes. Yes. Yes, this is he. That's right. You know what this means. Looks like I'm taking his place. Mom. He hangs up. Another man, Tim, approaches. James. Tim. Blackout. <laughs> Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? 
On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Hey, I'm AJ Schrader, and I believe everyone has a story worth telling, and also that I should potentially profit off of their stories. That's why I started the podcast I Wrote to a Pilot, where each episode I talk to a not-yet-famous person about their television interest and then make them read a television pilot I hastily wrote for them with the hopes of catching the eyes of the president of television. It's available on most major podcast platforms, or you can find out more directly at iwrotetoapilot.podbean.com. Hey, Bob. Hey, Josh. What's going on? All right. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about this uh, Mark and James competition. Where to start? Where to start? Um, No, I know exactly where to start. Um, (laughs) uh, One of my favorite things to do is is sketch comedy is is find the games because all of my all of my comedy is rooted in uh, improv because that's kind of how I got started in the greater comedy world. Um, And so, you know, like a lot of sketches, I start off with a premise and then I immediately pick a game. Now, sometimes, as in the case of this sketch, I get so enamored with a game, I just make the sketch about the game. And it's not really premise-driven anymore. It's yeah. just it's just fun for me. Um, and then sometimes I inflict that on uh, my other sketch group members and they have to play along. <laughs> Has this ever been performed, like, Actually, yes. it has. Um, in August of 2019, the sketch group I was a part of, Montfrere, we got back together after a, a decent hiatus. Like we stopped performing together just before 2015, and then in fall or late summer of 2019, we we got back together to do a reunion show. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's where we dropped that sketch for the first and probably only time, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I just wanted to do it. And that, and you know, that was a reunion show. It was kind of like, do the sketches you've always wanted to do, but you never did, you know, like, and then we'll do some classics and then maybe a few new things and just kind of take it, it go. There. I mean, I had a great time. <laughs> um, <laughs> the guy that, the guy that I uh, cast as, cause I love playing James because I love, taking out that butterfly knife at the yeah. end and then recreating kind of recreating in my mind, the scene from saving private Ryan, when the German sniper fights the American sniper and like stabs him in the heart and is speaking into his whispering into his ears in German, like go with God. And I just have always wanted to do something with that. And I thought, yeah, this, this worked. Um, but the guy I cast is Mark, you know, Aldon Schrader, uh, uh, brother of AJ Schrader and formidable, comedy uh genius mm-hmm. himself uh, uh i cast him uh, because i i thought he would have the most fun playing the game with me and he did but also it was just the names he, and, like i remember halfway through rehearsal he's like bob how do you expect me to know all of this <laughs> which again my thought when i was reading it like i mean i talked i mentioned it as we were you know building up the part of the. i was like this this would be a nightmare for me like at a certain Correct. point I would try to get like those big pieces of dialogue down, you know, like the, the most yeah. high reverend and everything, yeah. but my rule, like, cause I feel like it doesn't necessarily until you hit the Jamie Foxx punch, yeah. I can, na- you know, I can name any James. Right. That, that's the, 
and that's the thing that's kind of like where we landed on it when we were in rehearsal because it was like yeah even for me who wrote it I would forget them you know mm -hmm. and I've read through that script dozens and dozens of times and uh I would just be like, yeah, when you're just like naming celebrities, just whichever one comes to mind, just blurt it out, you know? And if it's one that's not in the script, but you like, cause there are plenty more James and Marks in the world, like yeah. uh, just do that. <laughs> and, and I'll try to like match suit and just like, let's just get to Jamie Foxx, you know, like that's the- <laughs> Yeah, you is, don't want, you, you don't want Jamie Foxx to be like the third name out. No, no, exactly. You gotta, you gotta at least preserve <laughs> that one. You but know? you also have to like, there's a, there's a part of me that like there is that a sense of play in it where if if you're willing to do it let's name every James and every let's, Mark like it yeah it had the it had the potential the ceiling there's no ceiling on it yeah there's a definite floor but there's no ceiling <laughs> let let's see if the people like will stay with us like if the audience yep. Yep. will just endure I all of the thought, James and Marks together I had a thought one time of like just making it the ending open ended and whichever one James or Mark stumbles on one the first time the other mm. one gets to kill so we both have like <laughs> prop butterfly knives and prop cell phones you're both prepared so, for it yes exactly for whoever the loser of this epic name battle shall be yeah <laughs> did, did the audience like go with it they did yeah they did and you know like it got regular laughs but then it also got the kind you know when you're on stage and you can recognize the laugh of people they're just like i don't know what other noise to make so laughter is just <laughs> gonna come out <laughs> because i'm not quite sure what this is it seems like two dudes in an office but then they start you know saying the the royal title for the king or queen of england what's up what's going on <laughs> that's right because like this, this is another sketch where like there's no context none whatsoever like none. whatever you guys are wearing doesn't help anything doesn't matter like doesn't there's matter. no setting there's like it it could be happening yeah. in john oliver's yeah. void exactly right they now. could be like, they could be in an office or they could be on air force one like it yeah. does not matter <laughs> where this takes place or other contexts right uh so so like with this with this sketch being all about the game of it like <clears throat> How do you just process, like, and you mentioned writing like through improv, like, is this mm -hmm. just you playing until? Playing until something sticks, yeah. And, you know, since I've, I've been doing, I've been doing improv since like high school. So that's like 20 plus years. I've only been writing and performing sketch comedy for like 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's still a substantial amount of time, but like compared to improv, you know, it's barely half. And I, uh i've since developed more sketch like sensibilities and tools and things like that when writing a sketch but you know if i'm just like kind of like freeform like oh i just kind of want to write a sketch today it doesn't matter what i'll start with like some kind of improv exercise or game or something just to get my brain kind of like loose and yeah. you know draw upon like kind of stock characters i've done in improv over the years see if one of them could be in a sketch you know like um that's happened to me a couple of times where just a, a character that i just made up on the spot in an improv show that landed really well i'll be I'll like save it be like let's try to take that character and put them in you know some kind of premise and yeah. steve's a, ske a sketch comes out which is what i i love to hear from people that do improv is like like you well, yeah. that you hold on to the things that like you want to explore yeah. more and uh yeah because there, there's something about the whole ucb like improv or improv sake just playing around mm -hmm. on stage that I'm not a total fan of. 
Yeah, I like, like, I've always looked at it as like, and, and, and you know, this is my personal take on it. This, this is not indicative of anything else but my experiences and my opinions. But it's like, to me, like, stand up comedy is the like work comedy, uh, uh, sketch comedy is the art, and then improv is the like workshopping. Like, improv is like a great place to just test whatever. It's kind of like a perpetual open mic, you know, like at least short form improv is long form and mid form get a little more heady and you want to have a little bit more kind of going on prep work wise, but like short form improv where you're picking up just a suggestion and you do a two minute scene, three minute game or whatever, and then you drop it and move on. Like that's the time to just try out freaking whatever you know and you know don't sabotage your team just for the sake of like i'm gonna try out my robotic president character here you know <laughs> like, yeah. which i have which i have <laughs> everyone does right everyone has an animatronic robot from the hall of presidents that gains sentience goes back in time and merges life forces with the real president right like that's that's like 101 yeah 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 i mean i mean that's cool. how the history books are written for sure uh, that that's what that's as far as i understand uh, (laughs) so you mentioned doing improv in high school so let's go back to the beginning what do you have an earliest memory of comedy i do i do i have a few so like you know a lot of like pretty typical stuff as a kid i would i grew up watching snl and you know i loved sitcoms from the get-go um my mom it was just me and my mom mostly growing up um i've got a brother but he's a lot older than me so he had moved out and gone to college and i was still a kid and my mom would, you know, like I would always have an early bedtime, but on Saturdays, my mom would be like, okay, Saturday is the night for my stories. So you get to stay <laughs> up and watch with me. And her stories were like the Saturday night sitcoms on NBC, like Golden Girls, Empty Nest, things like that. And that was like my first taste of comedy <laughs> at like seven was Golden Girls, which is one of the raunchiest shows out there. And like, for, well, for I, I, I mean, I distinctly <laughs> remember watching Empty Nest mm-hmm. and having zero clue what's happening. Like, Nothing, especially like, like when, yeah, yeah. But I fully remember, and I'm going to, I'm completely blanking on his name now, like Richard, Richard Mulligan Richard as the Mulligan. lead of it. Like, yeah, yeah. And full and, memory and just, of it. But I don't think I could watch, I don't think I'd watch an episode now and be like, have the memory of that episode particular episode exactly it's just yeah exactly it's like it's like it's it's almost like just an entire fantasy world in my head as opposed to an episodic sitcom that was pretty successful you know like and as i've gotten older and look back it's like oh that's what it is and it was just a successful one you know um that lasted several seasons and you know was popular and but but at the time it was like oh my god a world where people seemingly act like an act out of normal daily life but people are always laughing at and with them that sounds crazy cool and fun and like so from an early age i was just mesmerized with i mean the laugh track honestly (laughs) um and yeah then in high school i started doing middle school and high school i started doing just theater like musicals and plays and we had a decent drama program at my middle school and high school and got into it that way and then my senior year after I had done a ton of plays and everything, the the drama, uh, the, the the drama club faculty member um, said, "I want to do because at that because at that point that was like 
that was 99. And so like the, the American whose line is it anyway, yeah. had, like kind of come out a year before. And of course was like taking everything by storm. Everybody was like, who's this Wayne Brady? Oh my goodness. Is that the guy from the Drew Carey show? He's good. Um, is that Drew Carey? What's going on? <laughs> um, you know, you know how you talk about Drew Carey. Um, and I, I, I loved the show. I loved whose line I watched it every time it was on. Um, and my drama teacher was like, I'm going to get together a couple of people that I think could do this kind of thing. And you're one of them. And it was me and my two friends, all of whom were big nerds. Like we were the, the geeks and then two like super pretty popular girls who did drama. <laughs> and so like, we were like, imagine that is your first improv group. And like, you're like, okay, now get on stage and, you know, have a group mind. And <laughs> it's like, I have been paralyzed to talk to these people for six years. What makes you think? And then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even it, think uh, about it that way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, it was something that kind of just took to me pretty quickly and naturally and I especially once we got to do the performance we did a performance during arts week we like practiced a bunch and then did mm -hmm. a performance during arts week and uh, it was really successful and I got a lot of laughs and everything and I was like oh okay yeah I get it now I see I see I think and, I, I I didn't think about this until you mentioned it and there's a part of me that's that wonders that as we move forward, you know, in a comedy world and look at like the influence of people, how much whose line is going to be a game changer for a lot of people? Because it is. Yeah. I mean, it was my introduction to the idea of improv. It was like same, same. 10, whatever, however I was when it 13, 14, yeah. when it first came on. But like, like, I remember like, like seven. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I remember when uh, in high school, one of the writers of the high school newspaper was talking about whose line and then he actually found comedy sports downtown oh and cool. like we actually there was a live improv thing and he was like guys you gotta go it's so fun and i was like mm, okay I did didn't. you did you grow up in philly you're talking uh, yeah, about like, I'm, yeah i'm philly cool. born cool cool so yeah like yeah and being in a bigger city like that that had you know a more flourishing like art scene and stuff like that you could find that kind of thing hiding out a little bit and that you know mid and late 90s that was the improv golden era you know like that was when it was like when everybody was and like you said like whose line something something improv hitting the mainstream finally and then everybody going like what is this you mm -hmm. know and i remember uh, like as a, a a kid going to summer camp like four or five of the the kids not even like like staff they were like hey let's do a improv like skit night Let's, yeah. let's 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 do our own who's line and i look back and like whose great idea was that it sounds awful right like, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah now looking back on it now after i've done improv for years and years i'm like oh god <laughs> like, uh, um and and the thing is that like though like uh uh it's so a flash forward a little bit when i got to greensboro north carolina which is where i've lived for the better part of two decades now i got hooked up with a club here a comedy club the idiot box and started doing improv classes there and like got pretty world-class training like the the two directors um the artistic director and then um uh a uh, uh, guy steve her husband who also runs practices this is jenny stencil and steve lesser uh, you know they took like all of the training courses back in the day they did like you know 
IO and UCB and things like that. They got all of that kind of, you know, training um, and then brought it to their own club. And um, we were like, everybody there was trained in the kind of like, you know, Chicago style, like Chicago, New York style of like, you messed up, get up, do it again. You know, like, yeah. uh, like a sport, like a sports practice rather than more of a, like, a, okay, well, let's talk about the scene. What do we, you know, like, it's like, no, you know, and that was really, really helpful for me early on to know that like improv and really all comedy is like, it's so such a thing that's in the moment that like you do it, then you drop it, you move on to what's next. You know, there's such a velocity to comedy that I've yeah. always liked trying to keep up with. So you mentioned with the high school group that you just basically just practiced together for a while and then had that performance. Like, so is the first time of having like, quote unquote, formal training in improv, like when you hook up with Idiot Box? Uh, yes, exactly. Because in college, I did college, a college improv troupe. And I love that experience. And, but you know, it's students teaching other students and maybe they've gone to workshops or maybe right. they've gone to festivals and things like that and gleaned some things or read some things online or whatever, but it's still like, you know, we were, we were kind of all just sort of figuring it out together and college improv, you know, has such a fun stigma about it that it's like, it's more about having fun rather than doing really good improv. Yeah. Not that, not that good improv didn't happen, but just that like, it's more about, you know, it's a little, it was a little more like, not to use like a harsh word, but like selfish improv where people were just like, you know, I know how to get a laugh here. I know how to get a laugh there, you know, as opposed to like true scene building and things yeah, like it, that. But like the, all of the negative like stereotypes of improv. Correct. Correct. Tend Those to happen from, in college improv. I think that's the case. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where the locus of the most of it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always like, oh, I saw them in college once. I don't need to ever see it again. Like, oh. right. And it's like, and it's like, no, 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 no. You need to go to like a professional show and see like this, you know. And then, and then, you know, you break into and you start consuming like, you know, professional improv, like the, you know, the veterans and stuff like that. And then you watch something like, you know, we're making this all up with, you know, David Pasquisi and um, uh, 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 TJ. Uh, and I, was gonna say, uh, I, know, I know it's TJ. I, I, I'll never remember the last name. I can't <laughs> remember his surname either. Oh, Jagodowski, Jagodowski, Jagodowski. There it is. TJ Jagodowski. And, you know, you watch something like that and you're like, oh, I'm dog shit. I, am, <laughs> I thought maybe I was decent at improv. No, I'm not. I am. And then you're like that is like when improv ascends into being an art form, yeah. you know, like when you just get two people, three people, whatever, however large the group is, and they are just on the same page from moment one and they just do nothing but support each other. And that translates to just amazing comedy. Um, that's like, you know, that's the bar. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm never reaching that. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of work to get to that bar. And I, uh, Correct. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to put in that much work for it. Now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, after college, you mentioned get, getting to Greensboro and mm -hmm. hooking up with Idiot Box. Like, what is the mm -hmm. process of your improv training through the Idiot so, Box? So, um, they've 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 run it this way. They so like you know, you get like the highest caliber training there um, from just seasoned veteran experts, um, like Jenny and Steve. And then, but they run the club in a unique way, um, which is not. Uh, which is not typical to a lot of, how, a lot of uh, uh, 
how a lot of comedy and improv clubs are run. You know, normally it's a, you know, and not in a disparaging way, but it's a pay to play system or mm-hmm. a bringer system. You can get on stage, but you have to bring 10 audience members, something like that. Um, and I know that like that is kind of how it has to function in a place like New York or Chicago, where the sheer volume of people wanting to get on stage grossly outweighs the number of hours they can have people on stage. Yeah. So they got to figure out a different system. But in a place like Greensboro, where, you know, it's got an awesome, really kind of like quickly growing comedy scene. And Jenny and Steve have done a lot to cultivate that over the years. Um, but there, there, it's a, there's a lot more flexibility. So you, and you know, Greensboro has like eight colleges and universities within its city limits. Like it's, so we have a lot of young college kids who to, to come try out who can't necessarily afford hundred, hundred dollar classes and things like that and workshops. So Jenny and Steve are like, well, you can take the workshops, but you then work eight shows, you know, like you take tickets at the door, you usher, Mm -hmm. or if you're old enough, you know, like, you know, you can take people their beer or wine, you know, obviously can't do like bartending, 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 but they could like run snacks and drinks, you know, things like that. Um, And then that's a way you can pay off getting the training. And then you take classes and they're usually like eight week intensive classes and workshops um, with a, a class show at the end, which is always fun because you know, the students in the workshopies just, you know, bring their family and friends. And it's just like, those shows are always just pure joy. You know what I mean? Like they're just showing off and everybody's having fun and it's, and they're showing off all their training and stuff like that. And it's really fun. And then after that, you get um, one of two things happens. You either, you know, the director will be like, okay, I think I'd like to call you up to audition for the house team, you know, or I think you could use a little more work on these skills. So we'll put you kind of in the 102 or the 103 workshops, you know what I mean, to keep to keep yeah. going. And then at the end of each workshop sequence, there's like a, are you ready to be called up to audition to the mainstay, to the, to the house team? And then you go into auditions and then um, if your audition is successful, same kind of thing, you know, all right, you're in the house team. Um, we'll start you off, blah, 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 this way, this way, this way, or we're going to, you know, you're going to pop back down to the classes for this one kind of thing and then re-audition, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's really like, it's a really healthy system that the whole time just focuses on how to get better at, you know, good improv skills, which good improv skills just translate to good comedy skills, period. I've always said like, you know, um, improv is not my favorite comedic thing to perform. It's definitely sketch comedy, but, um, I would be nowhere without my improv training. So, <laughs> yeah. So then how do you uh, transition from like all the improv training? Where does the sketch team start to form? So and- this, the sketch group that I'm a part of, we started in 2009 and we were called Monfrere. And like a year or two before that, AJ Schrader had started, uh, had just started like, writing sketches and getting a few people together to perform them mm-hmm. and they had kind of like a like a you know prehistoric improv group or sorry sketch group uh that uh had some really fun shows and you know that aj was kind of running separately and while we were performing at the idiot box it wasn't like a um idiot box branded thing yeah. you know it was a separate entity 
And then in 2009, AJ kind of like, some people moved away that were doing the sketches and everything. So AJ kind of took it back to the drawing board and invited some people outside of the Idiot Box improv team to join. He called his brother Aldon, his other brother Abe. Uh, so it was called Monfrere because it, half of the mm, okay. original members were brothers. <laughs> um, and the rest of us were just really, really, really good friends. So it's kind of like, and then, and then, so there was the three Schrader brothers, myself, uh, a guy named Matt Schantz, um, and then a guy named John McIntosh. And John and AJ went to college together and had been doing theater and performing together for a long time. And everybody else kind of had different dipping of toes into the comedy world. And we got together to like kind of, you know, AJ was already kind of light years ahead of us because he had taken a lot of sketch writing classes and everything and had, um, had a bunch of sketches performed and even some win some awards and stuff like that. So um, he took, he, you know, he took the reins as like artistic director and was like, mm-hmm. let's, and, and when we started off, it was, we didn't perform for like seven or eight months. The first like half of a year we were together, we were just writing. That's it. And we were just like building a binder full of dozens and dozens of sketches that, most of which never saw the light of day i mean you, you saying that that you that you that y'all didn't perform for seven or eight months i'm just like what is the size of the war chest of material oh, that like it's funny it's funny you should say that because at one point aj had uh because he's a you know he's a visual artist uh uh by original trade um and and a very good one and he had this like huge desk like you know like fancy office desk that he bought for a installation uh project he had in a museum um and you know after the 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 installation was done he kept the desk and it was just like you know full of those massive drawers and we had that thing filled to the brim with sketches and rewrites of sketches and rewrites of rewrites of sketches and they were all indexed and everything like that and i mean i would say that like after like two or three years in so like 2012 ish around that time i would say we probably had close to 150 200 sketches that we had in some way shape or that were in that were in some kind of progress you know either ones that we had already performed and were like already picked as our favorites and our go-to's new things rewrites all that and so yeah we just we just we've always tried to like constantly be writing um how often are you performing like well that's that's changed over the years so well, when we at least first in, the, in, that, in those early days like where you have that we first... were performing one we were performing like once a month once every okay. other month and it was like and we were grinding you know like it wasn't like snl style it was like every week no way we would know who had time for that you can only do that if that's your full-time job. Um, but we, you know, we were performing, yeah, once a month. And each show had a different theme. The first three were kind of a, like a little more general. But then we got into, you know, we were all a bunch of geeks and nerds, comic books, movies, sci-fi, fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, etc. So we, you know, we started doing theme shows. Like we had a comic book show. We had a Harry Potter show. You know, we had a video game show. Uh, we had a college show. So, uh, yeah, nothing nothing better than have six cisgendered white men write a show about college. <laughs> and, and realize now it's like, hmm, hmm, not as woke as it could have been. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so, like, even in those early days, like, there's, it's all turnover. Like, you weren't really repeating not a lot like especially once we got into the themed shows exactly it's like like, 
Well, I have this, I have this dumb sketch about Luigi's mansion, but I can't use it in the, in the, you know, Harry Potter show. What do I, <laughs> so this is a one and done. <laughs> um, and actually, actually our Harry Potter show was the thing, like the first iteration of Monfair. Uh, I see the sketch group as having gone through four kind of like phases now. Mm-hmm. There was the longest one, which was the first one, which was like, yeah, five years where we were just, um, grinding you know like for really four years where we were just grinding it out performing as much as possible writing as much as possible going to as many festivals as possible you know just really getting out there and then we started to slow down a little bit uh, because of just life um and then aj got an opportunity to work with a very funny uh sketch group out of michigan called the don't we boys um and so aj you know, sort of went off to do that. And we all kind of focused on individual projects for a little while. And the group just kind of quietly, you know, had the volume turned down. But we were always like in touch and writing and sharing things and getting together every once in a while to just read stuff, you know. Um, And then in, um, like I said, in 2019, so it was about like a five-year hiatus. It went to like 2014 and then we sort of pumped the brakes for about five years. Um, and then in 2019, we started to like, ah, uh, we want to get, we want to get the gang back together. You know, let's see here. Who's here. Okay. Well, four fifths of the people have moved away and no longer live here. So <laughs> we need to, you know, we need to, it's going to be, you know, just, it was just the four of us. It was me, AJ, Aldon, and this guy, John Chenoweth, who joined, um, the group around, uh, the time we did our Harry Potter show. Yeah. And, um, so then you know, so we did like, that's when we got together the reunion show um, and did that in August of 2019 and then did a Christmas show in, Chris- in December of 2019. We're like, okay, we can do this regularly, but like, you know, four shows a year, like quarterly, you know, we can, we can manage that because we could not go back to the original grind. We were like mid thirties now. It's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the, there's definitely a point. Like, I mean, it's, I, a, young, it's a young man's game. It's we're feeling in, in here in Philadelphia where like real life starts to take over and like this mm-hmm. hobby where you were doing like, I mean, when right. I first got involved in, in sketch comedy about 10 years ago here in the city, like there, there was this particular team that I'm thinking of that like every month they were like, at least twice a month they had either a sketch or a full set or some character thing happening and now we're lucky if it's a once a year thing like if they get together like exactly people get married people have children like i mean obviously children are are the the sure the major downfall of sketch comic like (laughs) (laughs) sketch comedy and local independent bands like yeah like once 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 you get a kid in there like oh that Yep. obviously you're killing that time um you, okay yeah. so Monfrey like kind of uh, uh-huh. peters out isn't the right word but mm-hmm. like you know the the priorities change in 2014 yes. what are you doing like doing personally like are you pr- still pursuing so, comedy? are you still working at being funny engaged, in that time i was engaging in a lot of toxic relationships and um making a lot of errors in my career because i wasn't doing sketch comedy and it hurt <laughs> now um I, you know, I was doing a lot of improv in that time, um, you know, like really, really doubling down on doing improv just mm-hmm. to, you know, because I still love improv and also just to like, also fill the void of sketch comedy. Um, right. there, there, there's, there's a point where you, you no longer have your permanent group, but you can still drop in on improv. Correct. It's much, it's much easier to drop in and practice improv than it is to exactly have a, a sketch 
persona right. by that, yourself. That requires, that requires a lot more organization when it yeah. comes to meeting and deadlines and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I was doing that and I was writing and I was kind of going through a big career shift. I was in 2016, I was, I had taught college English for 12 years at that point. And then I was like, I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, I kind of hate most parts of this job. <laughs> I only really, I only really like being in the classroom with the students. Everything else feels like a nightmare. So I need to get out of this. So it was, you know, like we were saying, big life shifts and everything, um, switched careers entirely. And then, um, you know, like uh, AJ, AJ, like, you know, pretty much, you know, like settled more in Greensboro. He got married here and married to someone here. And like, you know, they bought a house and, you know, it started to look in like 2018, it started to look like the, the, the current four members of the sketch group were like, yeah, we're, we're going to be making Greensboro kind of our somewhat forever home, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, then it started to like reawaken a little bit, like, well, if we're all going to be here more or less permanently, we're kind of saying that not that life can't throw you a wrench in the gears and you, you know, just up and move to Tahiti or whatever. But if we're going to be here, we can at least like meet every once in a while. Right. Yeah, write exactly. a, write a, I've been writing a few sketches. You guys want to read them? Yeah, let's read them. No, no, no pressure. No, 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 no. And then we like got back into the reading and writing and we're like, oh yeah, we love this. And we love this. <laughs> we love this as a group. You know, we really love this as you know uh, these these four guys we've been working together for the better part of you know aj i've been i've known since i joined the idiot box so i've known aj for almost 20 years and have worked with aj comedically for almost 20 years and so like you know we've got these like long histories with each other and you get right back in and it is kind of like just getting right back on the bike you know everybody knows how to write a sketch everybody knows how to perform everybody knows how to build prop blah, blah, blah. uh and so like the skills were just right there it just had to blow the dust off of them we got back into it a little bit and then in 2019 early 2019 we're like all right let's do a reunion show come on <laughs> you know like we know we all want to so let's just do it we'll sell out the the idiot box because like you know we did cultivate a decent fan base here um during the Montferry years and we were still Monfair at that time. It was a Monfair reunion show. And then we did a Christmas show. And then we were like, all right, every three months, let's resurrect Monfair. And that was the first part of 2020. And we know where this is going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're going we're gonna to pause here in 2020 uh, because mm -hmm. I, I think the first time I heard of, heard of your work was actually your PowerPoint stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're like that solo work. So mm -hmm. where does that come from? So that came a little bit from when we hit that like 2014 patch and we were all like thinking about individual projects. And really AJ had started doing stuff with the Don't We Boys a little bit before that in 2012, 2013, I think. Every, every you know, white male comedian at some point thinks who's done improv, like I could probably rap um, and I could probably do nerdcore rap and because i like nerdy stuff and i like rap let's let's do this how hard could it oh god uh, <laughs> i got i i i had a nerdcore rap show that i did for a little bit called alter id because i thought it was being really clever thinking like oh alter ego but instead the id is more about like sex food kill 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 you know like it's the more raw animalistic side of things you know much better for like hard rap about 
you know, a Game of Thrones, but, <laughs> or Transformers. Um, you know how rap gets hard, right? Yeah, about <laughs> Autobots. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, I thought this will be a good thing to do in front of people. I like doing things in front of people. Uh, and that I started doing it. And while I enjoyed it, I was like, this is, I, I'm not good at this. <laughs> like, and, and the, the time and energy and skills required to be even passably good at rap really is such a high ceiling. <laughs> like it's, and you know, I've done rap and improv for years, but it's like, and I feel like I could do pretty well with that, but like, yeah, you're doing it for about 12 seconds yes. and you're rapping maybe, maybe two bars. Yes. Now try doing that for five minutes right. on, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. on one breath. <laughs> Yeah, while it, trying to be funny, while trying to be funny. Yeah. If if you're not good at that particular like any kind of skill like that, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's immediately it noticeable, and you're yeah, and it becomes possible that that's the joke of it, just as much as like the actual joke of it. I like, oh, look about, at this! Look at this dude doing this! Like, I should have thought about <laughs> leaning into that rather than just <laughs> suffering through it, uh, which is what I did for like a year or two and then i scrapped that i was like but not before i, I did technically record an album <laughs> that i released on soundcloud and no you may not have it <laughs> i'm kidding i'll give you the url later i was gonna say uh, we'll hunt it down i know i know you will <laughs> uh, that, 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 that's why i said what am i doing this is this is josh he'll find it he'll find it <laughs> this man can find anything online. If, if it's yeah if it's i mean the internet's forever i'm sure there's there's a few things I haven't found from my guests in the past so far, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. batting average is pretty good. With yeah, hunting no, down the the bad stuff. With um, I'm I'm, re- I'm regretting <laughs> even bringing it up and not just saying, yeah, in 2014 I didn't do anything. I just kind of <laughs> waited around and then I developed PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mon- Monfrey broke up and then, and then 2019 happened all of a sudden. 2019, <laughs> am I right, guys? Am I right? And I, you know, developed my really well received solo show, and that was it. And man, I've just been that in 10 out of 10 the whole time uh never had a gap Hooey. uh that's not true i tried to stand up for a little bit and bombed horde and that's one of the most terrifying experiences i've ever had on stage stand up is not my favorite art form or comedy art form but i have the most respect for stand up comedians who can do it well because yeah God. anyway um so yeah so that tanked hard <laughs> the, the nerdcore rep thing and I was like, all right, what about a one-man show? Like, no rap, just solo sketches, characters, you know, things like that. And that's where PowerPoint sort of started. And it didn't start as a PowerPoint presentation. I just realized at one point that, like, all of my sketches were going to be using PowerPoint. So I was like, well, that there's a theme. <laughs> you know, there's a unifying thing. Um, and I was all set to debut than one man show at the 2019 North Carolina comedy festival. Um, and, uh, you know, in March of that year, that was 2019, March of 2019, um, my mother passed away, which was mm. like, you know, pretty devastating to my family. Cause my mom was definitely the matriarch and was a, just a force, you know, to, to be reckoned with in all of the best possible ways. And, I was in the middle of writing my show and that happened. And I was like, my show was like, you know, three quarters done, but I'm like, how do I 
fucking finish this now you know like how do i come back to something where i'm playing i'm not kidding an animatronic robot uh president from the hall of presidents that goes back into it's rutherford b hayes by the way yeah uh i know you were wondering uh, it's obviously rutherford b hayes he's the funniest president that can become a robot come on come on josh uh <laughs> and uh you know we lost my mom and i'm like ah, what do I, I don't feel like being funny, you know, like I just don't, I, um, or it was, it was two things. It was either that, or I only want to be funny, you know, like I only want to just do comedy. And I then leaned in more to the latter there. Cause it was like, no, you got to do this now more than ever, because like my mom knew about the show I was working on beforehand. And she was always very supportive and encouraging and you know, even though she did not understand that world, uh, she knew that I loved it and that's all that mattered. And she was behind me hundred percent. And so I was like, no, I obviously have to finish it. And it gave me like, you know, a different kind of fire lit under my ass to do something more honest because the nerdcore rap thing, while it was something I like, I do enjoy rap and I love nerdcore rap, especially it wasn't honestly something I thought I should do or Mm. more importantly, could do. (laughs) It was more about ability than anything else. And I know if I had like literally focused on just that, I could have done it much better, but it wouldn't have been, I mean, it wouldn't have been genuine, you know, like it it would have been work for the work's sake rather than, or work for something that wasn't about the work. Mm. Um, And then my PowerPoint show, which got injected with a, heavy dose of trauma there right at the end before its premiere i like you know just started i finished the show with that got to the end of the show realized oh well now i need to change the beginning now i need to change the middle and like the last two weeks before i premiered it um at the festival i almost rewrote the entire thing like not from scratch like i didn't come up with new sketches or anything i kept the sketches that were there but i just tweak them with this new albeit dark kind of energy um and got out on stage you know dropped the mic to my best ability and left going like well that is what you're supposed to do you know it was very validating um it was well received but also like even if nobody had clapped i would have been like fuck yeah that was Mm -hmm. that was that felt that felt right you know that felt right yeah, that, um, that that sense of satisfaction of like a of a well of a truly like either authentic work. Yeah. Like can definitely it doesn't matter if the, the audience might be into it sometimes. Like right, right. You know that this is like fully me. Mm-hmm. And if if they're not on board with what I'm doing, then you know, whatever. But like this is me. Mm-hmm. That's that's just as rewarding at oh, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, then at the end of the day, like you want to hang your hat on big positive audience reaction, but when you do something more honestly, you give yourself an extra little rung to hang your hat on. If you don't get the audience reception you wanted, at least you can say, I mean, literally the, the the song is the song for a reason. I did it my way. You know, like I, I, I did what I set out to do and, it was what it was. Luckily, it was well received by the audience and made me um, 
go back into the tank and tweak things and work on it more and sign up for other shows and other festivals and things like that. And once again, January of 2020, I perform it at the Charleston Comedy Festival and I've got like a lot of, I'm from Charleston originally, and I had a lot mm -hmm. of like old friends that came to the show and it was just a really great time, really great energy and well received again. And I was like, okay, time to, time to do this for real. January 2020, nothing can stop me. Here we go. And like Monfrere was kind of like, like I said, Monfrere was back in, you know, its gears were turning again. I was like, man, 2020 is going to be the year of comedy, guys. You just wait. <laughs> we, we all thought 2020 was going to be the mm -hmm. year of comedy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody and thought it was going to be the year of something, except then, for what it was the year of. <laughs> and then I ended up hosting a show from my bedroom. Uh, so Montfrere's gearing up. So let's talk about like the rebranding. Yes. Because I, yeah, I don't because... think I've ever really noticed uh, a comedy troupe like that very actively rebranding like you have now becoming Trouble with Shapes. Yes. And yeah, we are now Trouble with Shapes, um, which is like MCU phase four. Um, like I said, this like the, the reunion things were kind of like Monfrere phase three and now we're in phase four. Uh, and cause it was like original solo projects, reunion, now Trouble with Shapes. Mm -hmm. And Trouble with Shapes is, it's the same four that, you know, we started the reunion of Monfrere with myself, AJ, Aldon, and John Chenoweth. And, um, but we were like, you know, we were coming out of the pandemic late winter this year and we're like okay we're gonna be able to do comedy again soon we had a path that we thought we were gonna go on but then this bullshit happened so uh, do we change that path have things changed enough with gestures wildly at everything you know that we we need to do something different now and that maybe doing and it's not that we did the same old thing when we got back together and did reunion stuff. It's that, you know, we were still, we were trying to revive something that actually had kind of died already. Mm -hmm. um, not the spirit of doing collaborative sketch comedy again, that was still just as strong, if not stronger after 2020. Um, but the, the old, brand itself the Montfrere brand and we were like well percentage-wise half of the group is still brothers <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't it just didn't really reflect who we were anymore you know just mm -hmm. as people just as people like we're like because the original get together was a little more you know bro-y kind of uh, there was a broy energy. Now we were all a bunch of liberals, so like it wasn't like frat frat broy, but you know it was like that kind of vibe, you know, um, where yeah, we'd all comedy. You, your sense of what's funny, your sense of comedy changes. It evolves drastically absolutely. from and it's not when you guys got not, together in 20, 2009 oh, to now. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. And it's naive to and it's so naive to think that it won't, you know, like literally everything else. Why wouldn't your not only comedy, but like just in general, your sense of humor. Um, and you know, we got out of 2020 and we're like, there are some things that are now off the table that you can even it's not even about making fun of them, it's just that we're just not gonna talk about those things anymore. Yeah. And and that was one of the things that made us you know, kind of really push towards a rebrand was like half 
if not more than half of like the core material that we drew from for Mon First stuff, so much of that had changed and evolved over the years. Cause you know, during, during that independent solo time, AJ and Aldon did a two man unit called Unstoppable Failure. And, you know, they still do that from time to time. Mm-hmm. It's just their two man brother sketch comedy show. And it's, I mean, one of the funny, I mean, it has one, it has the, sketch that has made me laugh the most out of any other sketch i've ever seen in my life and it's called it's ghost right. it's ghost uh when a- aj is the ghost of the elevator and eldon looks at him and says that's the stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard <laughs> and then aj goes darkness and cuts the lights and it's <laughs> I like every time i know it's coming and it's more of uh i could talk about ghost for hours we, we, we won't we won't but just know aj and al you sons of bitches like <laughs> you, <laughs> ghost will ghost will slay me every single time um so you know that you know and and like unstoppable failure had a different vibe to it than monfrey did powerpoints had a different vibe to it than monfrey did um and john chenwith and i we did a, a live play dungeons and dragons podcast for about four years and we and that was kind of we started that in like 2016 and that kind of ran up through the beginning of 2020 and that was a thing that we, you know, that had us and a couple other guys who do comedy, um, but from different, like they're more stand-up um, folks. And, you know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a comedy podcast. It was a Dungeons and Dragons live play yeah. podcast, ladies. But it was, <laughs> um, it was, but, you know, we were all comedians by trade. So it became a lot about just doing bits. <laughs> but yeah. in a Dungeons and Dragons setting, you know? So like, and that had a different vibe to it. So we had already all, all of us, all four of us had dipped our toes or dove in head first into other projects that had different messages and had different goals, purposes, points. And we were like, nobody was doing Monfrere anymore. We just weren't. And we hadn't been for a while. And we realized, and it's like, well, that means rebrand. What are we now? You know? And we went into the tank for a couple of months to try to unearth something from our past and like use it to sort of like propel us into this new brand. And that's where we got down to two names. We knew it was either going to be trouble with shapes or chicken fire. The final vote was three to one. Um, AJ, Aldon and John all voted for trouble with shapes and yours truly voted for chicken fire. Uh, both of which are inside jokes from our earlier okay. months for days. I, I, was, I was about to ask like, cause I remember <laughs> and, like, I remember when, watching the video of, of when you guys announced it. I was mm-hmm. like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> like where's that coming from? Because I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with names of improv groups and sketch Same. teams because so many of them are so awful. And, like, so, <laughs> and so just bizarre. So like, just like, th- that isn't even correct grammar. What's happening? <laughs> um. Uh, our name, Trouble of Shapes, uh, it's, I still hold out for Chicken Fire, but it, it was the wrong name for our vibe, I will admit, but I just wanted to call something Chicken you, Fire. You, and I, chicken Fire, you expect something more aggressive. You do, exactly. Well, ch- see, okay, Josh, do you want to be the fourth member? Do you know what it is? Because you seem to agree with those three guys. I get it. I see how it is. No, um, it, it, but it was true that like Chicken Fire would have been a better name for the original Monfrere, for what we were doing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Trouble with Shapes came from actually, one of the things we did every summer is we did um, 
Montfrere would do the 48 hour film festival um, in Greensboro, you know, the big international one, but we yeah. would do the greens, the Greensboro city one. Um, and the first time we did it, we drew mockumentary. We were like, Oh, just give us the award. <laughs> like, we're comedians and we got mockumentary. Okay. <laughs> um, and we did this mockumentary about a guy who has been stuck in kindergarten for like 35 years um, and can't just can't get out of kindergarten, can't pass kindergarten. And our, our old member, John McIntosh, who is just a, you know, a hulk of a man and a hilarious force of nature um, played this like, you know, aging kindergartner. Um, and at one point in the, in the film, he's just like listing the things that he's gotten better at. He's like, I can color within the lines now, you know, like I always get the Flintstone phone at playtime, you know, like, and he said like, I do still have, so, I do still have a problem with shapes. And it cuts to him throwing a cardboard box into a basketball hoop <laughs> and that's it and it's just a quick smash so, cut so that's the so that's yeah. why that happens in the the announcement video over Bingo. okay and that, that was another thing i was like what what is this like it basically became a calling card for all of our 48 hour film festival entries and then the individual ones like aj then went off and did solo uh film festival entries because he's a a, a robot um, who does not meet, require sleep um, and uh, would would always work in something that involved throwing a cardboard box oh, into yeah. a basketball hoop. And, you know, it wasn't always referenced as problem or trouble with shapes. And then we were, and so we were like, well, that, you know, we're now, we, we started off as for, you know, 20 somethings uh doing sketch comedy for the first time pretty much now we're for 40 somethings uh almost uh aldon is he'll 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 get there he know he knows what's coming um uh and now we're now we're now pretty much for 40 somethings who like and that was the other thing that dawned on us it's like we're just not young anymore (laughs) and so it felt a little disingenuous to call ourselves the same thing we called ourselves when we were 20, you know, like, and in our twenties. And so now it's like, well, what are we now? We're for 40 something dudes who, you know, have a pretty heaping dose of arrested development as a lot of gentlemen of a certain age do uh, in comedy. And so we were like, Oh, well, we have problem. We have trouble with shapes, you know, like we have, we have, we have we sometimes have trouble with basic concepts even though we shouldn't given that we're in our 40s so that's kind of how the name we landed we kind of we was like inside joke but then extra meaning this feels more on brand this feels more honest this feels more genuine let's hit the ground running with this and now i like the name even more i like that yeah (laughs) um but you know we each kind of like have a shape ascribed to us i'm mm-hmm. a rectangle aj's a uh, triangle john is a pentagon and al is a circle and so you know we've even and and one of the things we've developed i don't want to give too much away because it's going to be kind of a a running thing but we've developed almost sort of like a a, a sub series of like runner sketches we're going to do in our shows that deal with our name you know nice. that, that, that deal with uh, that in a meta way that deal with us um and it's going to be I think it's going to be really great. We'll see. Nice. I think it's going to be fantastic. But yeah, and that's that's where we are now. And we got a show coming up in July. We had a, a house show. It's like, what are we, a college band? We had a house show at literally in AJ's basement 
uh, back at the end of May, because John and I both have birthdays one day apart in May. And, you know, we had already written a bunch of new sketches and we had some, we decided to do our festival set from the North Carolina Festival 2020, which we did not get to do because, you know, that was right when the lockdown happened. Um, and so like, well, let's just do that set like we were going to do it, but in AJ's basement, which is a fully functional black box theater, of course, because he is a monster. Um, and uh, let's invite eight to 12 of our, just our friends come over. AJ will make some cocktails and we'll, uh, you know, we'll do a little show for our friends. And that was kind of our like reintroduction. And that's when we launched the, like all the new social media pages for our brand and everything like that. Um, and then in July, we have our first like full show at the Idiot Box, which will be a lot of fun. We we skipped over it like way early on. Uh, I you know SNL is a juggernaut. I always say I always sure. ask, who's your favorite SNL cast member of all time? You know, like for me, it's always going to be Bill Murray. Like I know it's one of the original ones, so it seems like maybe a little cliche, but like Bill Murray to me is one of the funniest human beings alive. Period. And all this stuff on SNL. Like I remember as a kid, obviously I wasn't a kid when it premiered, but you know, when they would run like classic SNL reruns or whatever, one time I just happened to see the lounge lizards singing the star Wars theme. And I just thought it was the funniest damn thing. My little child eyes had ever witnessed. And I just, from then on out, I was just like, you know, within like ghostbusters and groundhog day and all the films he did, I was just like, this man is my jam and then you know like later on i went back and watched like all his old snl stuff and just kind of caught up and um that would be like my classic favorite and like my all-time favorite i think my current favorite though current current like i gotta go with cecily strong like from the current cast um i think you know like obviously kate mckinnon and ad bryant are like the forces on that show but Cecily Strong reminds me a lot of like Maya Rudolph from the Kate or from the Tina and um, mm. um, 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 Amy days as like they, they, they did work as a group of three very well, but like, you know, Tina and Amy and then Kate and AD have their like AJ and Aldon just like perfection. Yes. They have it down to a science that and whenever they're on. I, I prefer AD when she's with Kate. 100%. Way more than I do with her doing anything else on the show. 100%. 100%. It, 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 is, it is obvious that they're... And, and I would say, like, you know, I think, I think Kate does... Uh, Kate's just, like, near perfection. Like, she can do the solo stuff. She can work with anybody. You know what I mean? But you can tell that she most prefers to work with AD. And she is her best self when she works with AD. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Cecily Strong you know, she does everything more or less on her own and she, she don't need nobody. Um, kind of like Maya Rudolph did, and even though they might not have gotten as much screen time or might not, but like every single time Cecily Strong is on screen, I, I lose my mind. I think she is so funny and she delivers everything flawlessly. And then her brief episode on Tim Robinson's, I think you should leave on Netflix when she just harangued. Have you watched that? I haven't. Oh, it's Josh. Like, I, I know. Oh, Josh. I know. Oh, Josh. You got it. Second season's coming. I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so, so I won't, I won't like spoil the sketch or anything, but she's in a sketch 
uh, she's in one of the sketches, and I think you should leave. And it's it's so stupid, but good. I mean, um, well, I, so I, I think, think she did. Yeah. Um, she did WTF at some point last year. Yes, and she talked about. She was like, "I've been on SNL forever. I was on Update. I, yeah. you know, I've done all the Update characters. Mm-hmm. I, I might be coming to the end of my time. I'm just gonna be as weird as I want to be. Like." Yep. And I was like, awesome. Let's see, yeah. let's see what this is going to be. Well, and that's what this season of SNL felt like. It was like, okay, nothing is normal about this year. Let's do wild ass shit. Let's do sketches that have been on the sketch room floor for the whole time. Not because they're not good, but just because they're like what I like to call festival set sketches where you're mm. doing sketches for other sketch comedians and not for a general audience. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like showing off to other sketch comedians and flexing like, well, how about this? You know, like, <laughs> here's a robot president. What do you think? You know, like, um, deal with that. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and and so, like, it felt like this season, they were just like, you know, it's not, they did a lot of, like, their typical mainstream stuff. But, the, you know, every episode, I felt, had at least had two or three weird, sketches like... that were just like, this would never have gotten greenlit in a normal season, <laughs> you yeah. know, especially the season finale, which was just raw. Again, it was like, to me, that was like a, you know, like an improv class show at the end where everybody was just like, we're just going to have fun. We're just going to do what we want. And, you know, um, I know it wasn't in that finale episode, but like, have you read the, or first off, have you seen the update character when Bo and Yang played the iceberg that hit yeah. the Titanic? Have you heard the oral history of that sketch? No, you should look, you should look it up. up. It's, yeah, yeah, you should look it up. I think it's on YouTube too. And like they interview Bowen Yang and they interview the uh, the head writer. I can't remember her name right now, and that's a shame. I should because I think she has really corralled SNL into a different place it, now that is much better. The Anna Drazen now. Yes, yes, yes. Anna Drazen. I, I knew it was Anna. Some, like it was it was an A name. Um, and so she and Bowen conceived of the idea just as a joke like months and months and months before the sketch ever premiered it was actually before the pandemic if i recall correctly from the oral history video and um you know it was obviously weird af so they just kind of shelved it you know as like uh, maybe one day you know and Mm. then it got to like two weeks before that episode i can't remember who the oh it was carrie mulligan carrie mulligan was the host that week um and they and they did one of my favorite recurring dumb 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 sketches, which is what's wrong with this picture? God, yeah. so stupid. But I mean, yeah, again, yeah. again, that is a that is a sketch festival sketch to it, me. It, Where, that's one of those sketches that it's like, how has this not been a thing? Right. Exactly. Before exactly. this, like, how many game show sketches has SNL done? Innumerable, and yet this was never one. Like they, until like. 10 years ago or five years ago. Yeah. And that's like, that's bonkers to me. Anyway, um, it got to like two weeks before the episode and, you know, they were, they were pre-planning a few things and Anna Drazen like just texted and, you know, and this was, this was, we were coming out of the pandemic, but it was like early spring, you know, it wasn't like great yet. Not that it's great now, but uh, she, she texted him. And it was like, Hey, what, what would you think about just getting the iceberg character down dusting it off maybe doing some rewrites and see if we can fit it in in a few weeks and bowen yang was like yeah sure why not if for nothing else just a fun exercise so they did it they tweaked it together and then it got to like the week before the show 
and Bowen hadn't heard from Anna or something like that. And like Texan was like, yo, are we doing this? And she texts him back and she's like, green light. And so <laughs> wait till you like wait till you see your costume. And like <laughs> and Bowen was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> he just got to do this ridiculous premise, but what an execution. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. And you know, like I, Bowen's such an important part of the show, obviously for queer representation, Asian representation too, does like, and he's, I mean, he is, I feel like he is going to be the one taking the torch, you know, from the Cecilies and the 80s and the Cates, you know, like yeah. he's, he's, he's going to lead the chart and the um, Keenan's talk about someone who's been on the show for Keenan's a minute. Keenan's not going to leave. It's not, no, no, it's not no. Why would you? That's gonna... Yeah. 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 Why would, why would he? <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, this season, this season just, I don't know. It kind of blew me away. Like even the Elon Musk episode, which was obviously the weakest one, um, still had some moments where I was like, they are just doing what they want. And that is that rules. Yeah. And that Elon Musk, like it wasn't as bad as no anyone thought it was going to be. So exactly. Good on them. And like Jost and Che were in rare form all year, you know, like update was just like hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. It was, it was fun to watch. I was really excited about this season. They're, they're getting very close to my favorite update, like setup same. of those two. Same. Like, um, as we're wrapping up here, uh, yeah. same two questions I ask everyone at the end. Uh, what's a piece of advice that you would give to a new writer, a new sketch comedy uh- writer? Um, all writing is rewriting. Um, getting it, getting the first draft is great. Um, it's a major hurdle, but your job has only just begun. (laughs) It is. And it feels like it's most of the job is done because getting a first draft done takes a lot of like time up front, but then the rewriting process and then not being afraid. In fact, being encouraged to rewrite as you perform it in rehearsal and stuff like that yeah. you know uh, up until you premiere it in front of a live audience you should be tweaking and rewriting you know and i would even say until it's like permanently on yes. film or or tape yes it, it's never done like and that's the that's the benefit of having a live art form yeah. you know that that we do um is that you know okay it was successful in front of this crowd uh, but then this other crowd, it didn't really work as well. What's the difference? Yeah. What can we tweak? What can we change? Yeah. Getting that feedback. Yeah. And 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 finally, as mm-hmm. get a little deep here, uh, mm. why comedy? What like mm. I I mean, this this isn't a career for us. It's, <laughs> like someone said that it, like flippantly that's a hobby. I was like, uh, do you, not you that met either. people? Like yeah. people take their hobbies way more seriously than like than their jobs. Yeah, for like sure. But like, yeah. So um, why have you spent the last twenty years pursuing making other people laugh like that? Um, and when it comes to making people laugh, I think that's been a lifelong thing of mine. And you know, it's it's a healthy cocktail of some typical things: trauma. Oh, we'll just get that out of the way. Uh, and then, but then also just being growing up in an environment, having a mother, uh, having a parent who did not like crude humor, but still understood that, understood the importance of comedy. So like when she introduced my brother and I to The Simpsons, which she regretted until her dying day, uh, (laughs) because my brother and I did nothing but quote it at dinner 
for years. Um, you know, same with South Park, same with things like that. So like, while she did not care for those shows or whatever, she knew it was important stuff, you know, and exposing us to it was also important and we were going to find it anyway, you know, like, like drugs. Uh, like, I'd rather you do it under my house if you're going to do it. Um, and, you know, just from an early age doing that. And then also having a brother that um, loved comedy and, you know, he, he was nine years older than me. He grew up with all the screwball comedies of the eighties and things like that. And, um, uh, it, you know, introduced me to them, introduced me to a lot of them. And, um, and then it became, I mean, it, it became pathological. Like it just became something that I had to do. Um, it was, it became a love language. It became a regular language of just like, you know, I, this is how I, this is how I function in the world. I try to find the absurdity of it all so that I don't drown in sorrow because <laughs> um, the world, the world is rough. Um, and um, then, I mean, also if I'm being perfectly honest, I, um, I love attention. Um, so um, performing is my favorite thing to do. Uh, and, <laughs> And, and, and I do think I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sound egotistical, but I do think I am good at it. So it, I want to do things I'm good at. I want to learn things that I'm not good at, but I want to constantly do things that I know I'm good at. Um, I enjoy that feeling. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I very much appreciate when people are actually, are actually honest when egotistical <laughs> and liking the attention and all that stuff come up. Like, you kind of have to have it a little bit, at least a little bit, because else, why else would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Too many people take the altruistic of like, I just love making people laugh. I just, you know, put some more joy yeah, to the world. Like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you still wanted people to look at you on stage. Like, yeah, and and while my answer a long time ago would have been, I like to make people laugh. That that while that is still part of it that has evolved it's gotten an asterisk i really want to make sketch comedians laugh <laughs> because like general audience that's great i'm glad you liked it but <laughs> if i could get a sketch comedian to come up after a show and be like what the fuck was that yeah. i then i'm like there is i can hang my head on that yes <laughs> yeah when yeah oh, i i totally understand that feeling too because there's like doing sketch and like becoming almost like not jade jade's not the right word but like so familiar with the rhythms and everything when you right. are surprised when yes. they when something happens that you're not expecting and it goes wonderfully like you're like mm. they got me. that's just awesome that's just that's just straight heroin man like that's yeah. just that's just like mwah. <laughs> yeah there, there's a list of things that like i'm like yeah this one this one works for me for for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right thanks bob yeah, thank you, Josh. Bob mentioned that Trouble with Shapes had a house show, which was streamed live and is still available on their YouTube page. Their YouTube is already overflowing new material. Follow their Instagram at TWS underscore comedy. Trouble with Shapes will do their first live show in front of a full audience at the Idiot Box in Greensboro on Saturday, July 17th. 
Then in September, Bob is all over the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival with Trouble with Shapes, his show PowerPoints version 2.0, and Crash Store Sitcom, which he wrote with AJ Schrader and Rankin Willard. Info for all of those shows can be found at idiotboxers.com. Here in Philly, the next Sketchubator is Friday, July 9th on Zoom. You can check out sketchubator.com. Yes, I bought the domain. For more information on our monthly sketch comedy open mic. And then sketch comedy returns to the Philly stage when Crossroads Comedy hosts Sketch Buffet at Theater Exile on July 16th at 9.30 p.m. Check out xroadscomedy.com for ticket info. And we are doing a Sketch Comedy Film Festival this year for Philly Sketch Fest. It's probably going to be virtual. It's going to happen in November. Submissions are now open at filmfreeway.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. You can follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Go see some live comedy. Be safe. Enjoy it. See you later.